This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Two out of three falls for the 60-minute time limit. Weighing 240 pounds from Germany, Hans Schmidt. His opponent, weighing 226 pounds, from Excelsior, Minnesota, Fern Ganya. The referee, Jimmy Callas. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice, are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. The Lost of the Titans. In the passion and death of their struggle, the very art that had raised them to such Olympian heights was lost. Their techniques vanished. This much about Schmidt, he has a habit of losing his temper. That is a Teutonic trait. I apologize. Here we go. We're off and running. Go to the bomb shelter, Clinky. We'll need it before we get through, August Willem. Hello, and welcome to Titans of Wrestling. Kelly Nelson here, and I'm joined tonight by Pete. How are you doing, Pete? Fantastic. We don't have parves. I'm in a great mood. (laughs) (laughs) I was building to that reveal, but... Anyway, the cat's out of the it's bag. Cheap pop, baby, cheap pop. That's <laughs> a cheap. I popped. <laughs> so if we, yeah, I mean now you can probably tell who else we have. We have uh, Johnny, of course. How you doing, Johnny? I'm doing great. We just got done recording uh, Brainbuster Four with you two gentlemen. It'll be up uh, later as well, and it was a blast. Thank you guys again. Yes, you're welcome. It was a blast. So anyway, yeah, Parv, uh, of course wanted to be here he actually came up with the uh, match list that we're going to be looking at and unfortunately uh he was um hit with uh, some tech problems at the last moment um and so yeah couldn't make it uh tonight we are looking at one of the true legends of professional wrestling a man who just recently passed away on april 27th uh, and I'm speaking of Vern Gagne, um, the legend of the AWA, the American Wrestling Association, uh, a great wrestler in the 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s. And then, of course, the owner, promoter of the AWA from its inception in 1960 until the bitter end in uh, 1990, 1991. And yeah, so he's uh, recently passed on, and today uh, we're going to basically do a, a look at uh, six of his matches from different time periods, from the 50s uh, and the 70s. Uh, unfortunately, the as we uh, know, footage from the 60s is, is very hard to come by, and we weren't able to uh, put anything together from there, but we have a, an interesting collection of matches to look at that gives you a a feel of what kind of a performer Vern was, I think. And uh, yeah, before we start, I thought we could um, just go around 
the group here and give us uh, give some thoughts on on Vern, you know, personal opinions from uh, when you were growing up watching wrestling, uh, thoughts now from watching a lot of footage over the years. Uh, Pete, what are your thoughts on Vern Gagne? Yeah, he's always a guy I never really saw a lot of footage of. Even though, you know, I, I, I don't know if a lot of people know, I, I, I lived in Chicago for a little bit, but it was a little too, I was a little too young to get into the AWA at that time. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to St. Louis where I became more of a wrestling fan. So I really kind of missed my boat uh, in the 70s on, uh, on Vern. But from watching, you know, from watching him like on TV back in the nine in the eighties and stuff on ESPN, he always had this kind of cool jock charisma where he where he just had a just had a little swagger to him. Even though he was like you look at him like who's this bald motherfucker, <laughs> you know? But he he still had that jock swagger to him where you, you knew he was legit. And then you hear all the back all the you know all the stories about him you know being an Olympic class wrestler being a real shooter. And then in the matches you, you'd see in the 80s growing up, you saw glimpses of, of, of his greatness. Not all the time. He wasn't always able to pull it all, you know, put it all together all the time because, you know, he was working. Other usually older gentlemen like the Crusher and Mad Dog Bishon and stuff. But you got you got a little taste of it. Then you see him uh, even, even, uh, even in the 80s wrestling Dick Bockwinkle. Mm-hmm. You'd see how, how great he how, how how great he was and what he what he, what he was all about and now 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 in the era of the of the like youtube and stuff especially thanks to like the chicago film archives mm-hmm. we were able to go look back and look at uh look at look at some of his stuff in the 50s we saw the uh, the uh luthes match we reviewed uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. that we all we all raved about they went yeah. to an hour draw and yeah. uh Ganya was like the nice pl- uh, you know nice like underneath Babyface, the, mm-hmm. the Thez, the world champion, uh, and we and we were going to watch some more matches today, and and you see, see glimpses of what 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 made Vern great, and and it's really you know you've he was finally got into the WWE Hall of Fame, uh, they they have the AWA now they have the AWA library, we really haven't seen a ton of they haven't really done a ton with it. Uh, to showcase Vern per se, or the promotion for much, but hopefully maybe in the future, uh, maybe we'll get to see finally some find some more uh, long lost classics that they might have in the vault. Uh, you know, but you know, towards the end of his life, you heard the sad stories about being in the in the, in the home folk in the old folk home and stuff. Uh, com- mm-hmm. You know, so but you know, but that's that's not what you should be remembering Vern about. You should remember remember all the good stuff. I mean, he brought you know. He made AWA into a tremendous. It was a really strong territory for years. Yep. A lot of us don't remember the heyday because all you do is remember the bad uh, towards the finish, mm-hmm. and you always hear the the story of uh, the Rockers, how they got the Midnight Rocker name, and right. how he thought it was rocking chairs. So there's always eight billion uh, Vern stories, and and Marty Jannetty can probably tell you seven, uh, <laughs> almost almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for, uh, he's a guy I really wish we had more footage of, because uh, from what I saw, I really liked what I saw. I mean, he wasn't all home runs, but he had had a lot of doubles and triples there. Yeah, no, definitely a, a controversial figure in wrestling history, a polarizing figure. But I mean, his credentials, though, when you step back and and look at them all together, it's just amazing what he did, beginning 
as a, an Olympic athlete or a, a college athlete, actually, in Minnesota, University of Minnesota, and, and being at one point like the greatest amateur wrestler in the States and a great football player, apparently, in his own right. And yeah, just, I mean, and, 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 and a guy trained so many great uh, wrestlers. Right. And right. I mean, we, like, I know one of the topics on the pro wrestling only board is, is the, the trifecta. And he honestly might be easily maybe one of the top 10 candidates ever to be put into the Observer Hall of Fame. Yeah. I'd say his resume is up there with anybody's. Like, it's yep. one of the most, if not the most impressive, as far as the, you know, very. Uh, the variety of different uh, hats he wore and, and different things he did well Prom- and yeah, successfully. Yeah, promoter, trainer. Uh, he was a good worker. Mm-hmm. Drew buttloads money. of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, every, I mean, che- I mean, just check the boxes off one by one. I mean, yeah. he he had it all. Yep. And some say uh, he was a pretty good promo too in, in his in his way, like a Bruno Sammartino sort of, you know, humble uh, baby face. That was, you know, you know, believable in his role too. So, yeah, a lot of different sides to Vern. Uh, Johnny, your uh, thoughts on Vern? Well, first of all, I think that that Midnight Rockers story is horseshit. Yeah. Uh, because uh, about you know, well, why, why would we call them Rockers? They might think the rocking chairs. <laughs> uh, this is a guy who already had around him uh, for years. Um, rock and roll Buck Zumhoff. I think he knew what rock and roll was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that one's a little, mm, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it makes a great story, but yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. It makes a uh, great story. And with Vern being bald, you can actually believe that, you know, because he looked older than he really was. In yeah, a lot of- that's true. Well, well, that leads into my other thought about Vern is, uh, you know, Pete covered it pretty extensively, but, when I first started watching AWA in 86, when Pro Wrestling USA came to uh, the New York market, and it got exposed to Vern, and then would show him like he's ready to kick some ass, and I would just laugh, because I'm like, this guy? <laughs> you know? Like, no, I get it. I, I you know he's one of the legends of all time. I'm like, what, this guy is like clearing, cleaning house and kicking ass, and I'm looking at this like skinny old man, bald old man. Uh, yeah. But, and this leads into something we talked about and something we're going to be exploring on a later show, he was their old man. Mm-hmm. And promotions would have their old men that the fans who've been around forever on their promotion would say, that's our guy. That's our old man who, if push comes to shove, he's going to kick your ass, which is the mentality of, like, it's how you always go, you know, no matter how old you get, your dad is still the guy who can kick your ass. And yeah. ironically, most of the time, it was the actual promoter of the promotion. True. Oh, true. Because, yeah, exactly. That's exactly most of the time. Uh, the only times it wasn't was, say, maybe Bruno. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to get on this on another show. But uh, so then from that standpoint, I understand it. You know, these, these people who grew up and from the th- stories I've been hearing since he passed, he's a true legend in the area amongst people who aren't even wrestling fans. Yep. You know who Vern Gagne is. So it makes perfect sense from there uh i actually got to see him live once uh really uh it was at a pro wrestling usa show uh the match was baby bull leon white uh the the, you know soon to be vader uh, versus bockwinkle for the belt and it had some screwy finish uh and Vern came out 
from the locker room <laughs> and was talking to somebody and pointing at the ring and they restarted the match. So, you know, I, I get to count in my live resume that I saw Vergania. Either that or I'm hallucinating. <laughs> and, uh, and well, don't just, count uh, that one out. Yeah. I, I, I don't. <laughs> Don't count that one out. But I, I do seem to recall that that happened. Uh, he was wearing a sweater. And I, oh, well, there it had to be. For there you go. It has to be, yeah. Yeah, wait, you know, he, he, he burned more some funky Cosby sweaters. Uh, it, it was like, and, uh, and getting real quick into the, the, the nursing home stuff is I just want to get this out there because a few people are still floating this shit out there. And I just want to clear it. Anyone who's like, well, Vern Gunn, who's a murderer too, he killed a guy in a nursing home. That, that shit pisses me off to no end. Right. I spent 23 years working with Alzheimer's patients. It, you know, so, you know, when people are confused with this horrible disease, they get into altercations. And he didn't, like, I've read people, like, he pile-drived his roommate. I was like, fuck, no. You know, he put a hold on him. No, he, he pushed a guy because he probably grabbed his applesauce. And he was confused with Alzheimer's disease. The guy fell. And as a result of the fall, he eventually passed because that's what happens yeah. with people in their 80s. You know, it's a tragic thing that happened, but it really, really rubs me the wrong way. And I would only bring it up because it's coming up uh, out there. And hopefully yeah. people listening to this can you know, use this as, as fodder to, to argue against that ridiculousness because that really annoys me. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. on, on to Vern. Yeah. Well, I think in general, that's a, something about Vern is that, you know, the way the AWA ended with basically and then he declared bankruptcy. And it was a very, you know, big decline and fall that the stories about Vern since have been mostly negative or had been for a lot of years, right. unfortunately. And it was he became sort of an easy target. And a lot but of guys. What a, but what a run. Think about that. Yeah. Started his promotion in 1960, yeah. was basically independent from the NWA. Mm hmm. And, uh, and so 30 years, yeah, that's 30 years. fucking impressive. Oh yeah. And was on created, ESPN and created, and created Hulkamania. Yeah. Yep. That was, and was the only wrestling on ESPN for the yeah. longest time. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, I know. No, it, it's, it's sad that, you know, it's only sort of the last few uh, years as a promoter that usually get focused on, but I think now in death that that'll change and it'll, and you know, it'll be more eventually in the future. Uh, yeah, and the, the, the two biggest stars of the 80s, one he trained, and the other gave him his first big uh, break, really. Yeah. And, and one thing they did do well with their footage, uh, I loved their DVD they put out back in, like, 2006 or seven. their mm -hmm. DVD. Yeah. I thought that was, yep. it, it was, that was really well done. It was really well done, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm co pretty confident in the future the – Negative opinions of Vern will kind of fade away, and we'll remember more the the great uh, performer, great promoter uh, years. Uh, for myself, um, I'm sort of similar to Johnny. When I first got into wrestling, it was around 1986, and Vern was, you know, I guess maybe he had one last run that year. But anyway, um, you know, I would see his pictures in the in the magazines, and you know, I can remember the them focusing on like the early 80s, his last run, and and just thinking as a kid, I was like, this guy was a great wrestler, you know, looking at him, comparing him to the only wrestlers that I knew, which were the Royd Freak guys like Hogan and the Road Warriors and those guys. And, and looking at Vern, it just I couldn't comprehend it at all. 
So I definitely didn't have an appreciation of Vern at that time. And then as I got older, of course, it was easy to like, you know, giggle at the, the dying days of the, uh, the AWA and all the mistakes they made. And, and then, of course, uh, the guys started piling on Vern that made it to the WWE, WWF or whatever, and would tell all these stories. So, yeah, I would, you know, dismiss Vern uh, at that time, too. And it wasn't until you know, maybe 10 years ago, within the last 10 years that I started to appreciate Vern when I looked, started to get into the history and really, you know, realized, you know, how great this man was in professional wrestling. And now, I mean, I, I love watching these old matches with Vern. And what's funny when you talk about how you first saw him and then the, but think about the first time you saw that, that picture, the one where he's got his hands on his hips and he's flexing from the fifties and you see the body on him and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. I get it now. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. He was a physical specimen. Yep. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see when you look at the footage from the 50s. Like, this guy was a stud. I mean, he was a great athlete. And, uh, yeah, so I guess without further ado, let's uh, dive into these matches. Um, so we'll kind of, uh, we got six matches, like I said. So we'll go in chronological order with them, starting uh, with the earliest that we looked at. And it's from... The, uh, the Chicago Film Archives uh, YouTube channel that Pete mentioned that just uh, late last year uh, put up a ton of matches out of the blue and sent like uh, the PWO uh, circle agog. Uh, it was just we couldn't believe what was suddenly available at like full length matches from the 50s um, with a bunch of the, the big, biggest stars of the era. And there was a lot of uh, Vern Gagne matches and. This one, this first one we're going to be looking at is Vern against uh, Hans Schmidt, uh, one of the great heels of the era, one of the great heels of all time, really. Uh, drew a lot of money, was uh, a very respected worker. This match is from, as far as I can tell, October 10th, 1952, which is about eight or nine months after that match he had with Fez that we uh, reviewed a few months ago. So it's the same uh, Ganya here as there. This is the fiery young uh, Vern, up and coming, chasing the title, chasing the NWA title. Um, I really like this Vern Gagne, as we'll see as we go on and analyze the different uh, Verns. Uh, this one, I think, is my favorite. I'll say that right off the bat. And yeah, so Vern against Hans Schmidt. Pete, what did you make of this match? Yeah, I, I just want to do a quick overview of all three of the matches, though. It's just about just an observation yeah, yeah, yeah. I made of the three that we watched for the 1950s. You know, there's always been that meant that, that tale, not tale, but you know what the wrestlers always say is the heels drive the car, and it right. felt like, uh, especially in the 50s, it was really prevalent because here. I thought Schmidt was the best heel we saw out of the three guys between mm -hmm. John and Leo Jonathan and uh, who was the other guy we watched? Uh, well, Edward Carpentier, but he wasn't really he's a, not a heel. Even, even a heel, right? And so here it seemed like the, this the match this match I thought was the best of the three, and I thought a lot of it was because we had a, a real heel, a really good heel yeah. driving the car, and then Vern was able to react to all of what Schmidt was doing. And I really think it really lays a lot of precedent is where the baby face really does follow the heel and how much power uh, the heel had in laying out and calling the match. Because I thought Vern here in this match smoked the other two we saw. And uh, I'll get on to the match myself, though. Um, what do you guys think of that, though? Do you think that's a, 
fair statement or yeah no that's a great point I, I didn't think of that but i think that's you hit the nail on the head with that one i think um this was by far my favorite of the 50s matches we watched i agree actually actually i ran out to, i ran to the bathroom while you were talking so okay, yeah. i agree <laughs> oh, that's all good. It's not a big deal. All good. Um, I, and also, this match is also setting up uh, Vern, uh, or the winner of the mismatch, takes on Fez. So this had right. consequences and stuff. I uh, thought Hans Schmidt was fantastic in this, where he was healing up and using roughhouse tactics. I thought Vern was a great babyface here, uh, working the headlock and uh, and really doing a good job working the headlock. And Schmidt, you know, doing all these little... Not you know not overtly nasty stuff, but just kind of like Fez, up a little more aggressive in the Fez match we saw, where uh, we see Schmidt with some hair pulls, and and then he's just healing it up, and you know Schmidt's using a hammer lock and some hair pulling, so he's doing stuff, and then uh, healing it up. It was really making it really interesting. Um, Schmidt uh, throws some big forearms and. Uh, it was just really interesting. This is all just really interesting stuff, and it's just because Schmitz—he is such a great heel. It, it made Vern become that much of a greater babyface, and I really thought they had great chemistry in the ring. Um, the first fall was uh, a backbreaker by Schmidt for three, for the three. And the coolest thing was when Schmidt uh, pinned him. Uh, he grapevined uh, Vern's arm with his feet. I thought that was tremendous. And something you'll never see uh, today. Um, a second fall, I thought Gandhi's comeback is huge. Yeah. Again, playing up a great baby face. He just got beat by the big nasty heel. And now he's coming back. But then quickly, Schmidt uh, cuts him off and is back in control. But then Vern's fighting back, does a nice drop uh, toe hold. And he's really great working the leg. Just really great. And they really milk the drama. And we get a rope break by Schmidt. Schmidt. Now, one thing I didn't like here, now all of a sudden, Schmidt's doing a rope running spot. And uh, after having his leg worked up, uh, work under with the uh, grapevine, and the drop toe hold, and, and the crank in the leg, I was a little thought that was a little odd. Uh, but, you know, it's not, not enough to throw the match off for me. I thought the head smash by uh, Schmidt was really great. Um, the hammerlock in the corner by Schmidt was great. The big backdrop by Vern. And then we get Ganya, which is, well, obviously, it's, Fan of me, the sleeper. It's the Ganya sleeper for the equalizer. Mm -hmm. So he steals the second fall. And the third fall is just great. Uh, it's a DQ by Schmidt uh, for, for, the, for the kick. And this awesome was just full of hatred and full of action. It was just awesome. Overall, I'd give it like, if I, was, I don't like to rate these 1950s matches, but this was just an excellent match and mm -hmm. easily in the four star range. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, I thought Schmidt was tremendous and all the Hans Schmidt I've ever seen. I think I've seen three or four matches, maybe, maybe only two. I, this one, I, I've seen him work Fez and he had a great match with Fez. Uh, Hans Schmidt, uh, I know this show's about Vern, but Hans Schmidt was one of the great workers where uh, we don't have that much footage, but Vern. Vern, Vern was just a tremendous baby face in this match, mm -hmm. and and and, it, and the match was just it was it was epic. It had checked all the boxes. Had good mat wrestling. Had good brawling. Had good heel work. Heel stick by uh, Schmidt. Great baby face shines by Vern. They timed the cutoffs and they they timed the, the comebacks really well. Um, it was it was really laid out really well. Uh, things I'm a little surprised about. I. I 
you, you think most of the time people are always talking about selling in wrestling. I, I, I thought the selling here could have been done a little better. Uh, I mean, that's a small critique, uh, critique, mm-hmm. uh, cause you know, back in the day, it was all about, all about selling. You, you thought you, or my preconception anyway, would be that it's about selling and, and, and storytelling as opposed to moves. And uh, I, I thought the storytelling was pretty good here, but I thought the selling could have been a little better. But overall, man, fantastic match. Both guys uh, looked like legends of wrestling right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was go, 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 too. They yeah. were just sitting there working holds. Everything yeah. had a consequence. I mean, I don't want to say they were go, go, go by doing, like, hurricanranas and stuff like that <laughs> to, to trick people. But for the time frame and the pace they were cutting, it was pretty damn impressive. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was definitely fast-paced. I should have mentioned this match and the other two from the 50s that we're looking at is from uh, Chicago, the International Amphitheater, a uh, legendary venue there. Uh, at the time, Vern was uh, the star, basically, of uh, promoter Fred Kohler's TV show, which was on the Dumont Network uh, in the States. And, yeah, he was uh, one of the big stars of that boom in the early 50s, uh, Ganya was at the time. So, uh, Nick, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Johnny, your thoughts on this match? Okay, well, first of all, Pete, the reason why Hans Schmidt uh, could shake off all that legwork and keep going is because he's a Nazi Superman, and they are uh, the master race. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> but, it's, but speaking of that, it's neat because Hans Schmidt, everything we've always read, is supposed to, the gimmick was he's a Nazi, but it was still a little too soon. Uh, he just he was German, mm-hmm. and the Nazi shit was inferred. <laughs> you know, he wasn't Sieg Heiling like Waldo von Erich, no, you know, or nothing like that. But yeah, uh, he didn't I, have yeah. the Nazi symbol. He didn't have the swastika right. on his uh, on his ass like right. Tanahashi. Tanahashi has ace. He didn't have the swastika. Yeah, it, it's ass. it was pretty much implied. He's German, therefore. Uh, I love the, the ring announcer. The ring announcer was great. He's like, when he's introducing Vern, he's like, from Excelsior, Minnesota, Voin, Ganya. I had to comment also right at ringside, and I couldn't take my eye off him, was apparently George Reeves, who played Superman on the 50s TV show. He was right there. He was there with his mom. Uh, who was like, really into the matches. Look, everyone. By the way, all this footage is out there for you to see. Yes. You know, So please watch, especially this match. Which was, as Pete said, it was outstanding. Hmm. But you look at there. There's George Reeves. I was almost thinking, were they filming an episode of Superman at the matches? Because <laughs> that's fucking him. <laughs> he, was so, he was so upset over the uh, the finishes, though. He, he, he killed himself. <laughs> Five years uh, later. <laughs> yeah, five, five years later, fucking Hans Schmidt. Uh, but to me, it's all about legendary uh, announcer, TV announcer, uh, Russ. Uh, Russ was Davis. Davis. Yep. Russ Davis. Russ Davis. I almost said Russ Francis. God damn it. Uh, but he, he, he gets in the lines that uh, as soon as Hans Schmidt loses his temper, he goes, well, that's a Teutonic trait. <laughs> so, yeah, ask Poland. <laughs> it's, yeah. Mm. But some of his great uh, lines that he had here, uh, he's a like, boy. He has it down to a gnat's eye, bro. And uh, when, he, when he was tearing at him, uh, you can't tear off bacon with your raw hands. I'm like, if you say so. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and then 
they're, they're the third fall. I love Vern with this. And we see it later when he's like just slapping the guy in the face. Yeah. He just reminded me of Mo from the Three Stooges, just like boinking him in the eyes constantly to, to piss him off because that's what it looked <laughs> looked like. And, uh, and and then with the greatest unintentional line that Russ had during this match, uh, Schmidt does something nefarious. He goes, Mr. Schmidt, that isn't kosher, boy. Like, oh, oh, well, yeah, I bet it ain't. Uh, and also, apparently, as we'll hear later, apparently, Russ's assistant is named Clinky. Because he, he keeps, like, referring to, hey, Clinky. Uh, and Clinky gives him updates and, and shit like that. Uh, so I, But as Pete said, from the, a face heel uh, dynamic, uh, and uh, this was my favorite thing, because that's my favorite thing. I want to... I like the storytelling of good and evil and and, and all yeah. that and uh, and this was fantastic and I I want to see more Hans Schmidt yeah. as well after this because he was fucking great totally um, yeah he, he's just recently got into the wrestling observer yep. Hall of fame in like the last year or two yeah yeah it was a oh long, wow really yeah yeah long journey for him to get there like I remember seeing that that uh, that uh, from A and E the Unreal Story of Professional yeah. Wrestling yeah yeah and uh. And hearing about Killer Kowalski going on about Hans Schmidt. Yeah. He was heavily featured in that uh, documentary. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, I don't know if it was in this match, or it's one of the matches Davis uh, is commentating, where he's he says, oh, pardon me, I was just lighting a cigarette. No, that's later. <laughs> of course. I mean, oh, awesome 50s right there. Um, yeah, I really like this match too. It was fast paced. It was rough. Um, lots of struggle. Uh, Hans Schmidt was great. I loved the beginning of the second fall when Ganya came out, just fired up as hell. Um, just punching the shit out of Schmidt. Uh, that was great. Um, yeah, yeah, this was a good one and definitely want to see more Schmidt too, uh, after this. And yeah, I mean, it was, the finish was, um, yeah, of course, we're going to see guys getting protected. We're not going to see pins on them. So it was a foul. And he was DQ'd. Uh, so that, that kept Schmidt, uh, kept his heat. And it allowed Vern to be the number one contender, basically, for the NWA title. Uh, solid booking there. And yeah. So moving on now, uh, a few years later, uh, April 15th, 1955, to be exact, we have... Uh, Ganya against Don Leo Jonathan, another legend of uh, pro wrestling. And actually, now that Ganya has passed away, Jonathan is maybe the the um, the oldest uh, legend, you could say, wrestler still alive. Um, he would have started just about mm, a few years after Ganya as a main wow, event. Wait, wait, he's still alive? Yep. Yeah, Jonathan's still wow. alive. Yeah. He's, uh, I think he's about 85, I want to say. 84, 85. Yeah, you don't hear much of him. He kind of is... Well, no, no, guys that big... Right, that too. Don't tend to live that long. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's still living. And um, here he was very young, though. Very, very young. I've, I've seen Jonathan in the, the 70s more than the 50s, I think. And definitely uh, uh, very young here. Uh, Gagne, at this time or in between the match we saw in this one, he would become the United States television champion, which was uh, a way for Fred Kohler to sort of create his own world title almost. He had a falling out with Luthez. 
because I think Fez uh, took some bookings with another promoter in the Chicago area. And of course, you know, that uh, led to a little bit of heat. And uh, so they, uh, Kohler decided to push Gagne as the TV champ because he was on TV all the time. Fez wasn't on TV as near as much as Gagne, I don't think. And so by this time, Gagne is now wrestling what I would say more of like a, a champion. Uh, he's not the, the up and coming young lion anymore or the fiery baby face so much as he's, you know, the, the, the champ, the, uh, the best and he's uh, defending his title, and he's working more of a mat-based conservative style, uh, I would say. Definitely, it's only uh, three years, not even three years later, and I, I'd say uh, Vern's style has changed a lot in that time, in this match anyway. Uh, Pete, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good observation about how his style is, I mean, it's, he's obviously a babyface, but now he's not working like Fez did as NWA champion. Mm-hmm. He's he's working like a babyface champion, who isn't. He's not going to cheat, but he's going to try to beat you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought John Leo Jonathan looked like Jaws from the James Bond movies <laughs> yeah. with the hair. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah. And I was just like, just looking. That's the whole entire thing. The whole my, my whole thing was like, man, that guy looks like Jaws. Only thing missing was the you know the. The, the actual metal jaws. teeth yeah <laughs> exactly um you know there's of course this is your Vern cat and mouse john leo jonathan's using his size and Vern's playing cat and mouse early um you see they're, they're exchanging strikes and Vern works the arm you see jonathan uh using the scissor hold and he's working a headlock you see a fez press by john leo jonathan which is pretty impressive um, he uses a version of a chokehold knee lift. Um, you know, John Lee Jonathan's laying on him, weight, using his weight to his advantage. So a lot of this work is real subtle. Uh, and it's, it's just not for me. I remember, I think it was Matt D really put this match over mm. uh, on Pro Wrestling Only as one of his favorites. Uh, Vern, and I'm just not, it's just not doing it for me. It's not actually a bad match or anything, but I don't, I don't want to call it a good match either. Um we see, you know, we see some hip tosses, and it's just a little back and forth. A big slam by Vern, and then you see Ganya sleeper for the first fall. Uh, we then he starts working the hammerlock, and John Leo sells it big, and you know we're just getting some basic, just basic stuff. Uh, we see John, John Leo, Jonathan just gets the second fall with a big, uh, with a back stretch, and then you know it's, again it's just some back and forth. Uh, Burns nails a belly to back, which is pretty impressive for the win. It just, it was, it just, it was there. It just didn't seem like there wasn't a real sense of urgency. They cut a decent pace because they were, they they went long and they they worked hard, but it just didn't translate into a good match for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a great match, but uh, I was definitely on, on, on Russ watch. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, for this one, uh, but at the beginning, I loved. It. I'm like, your ref, Lou Costello, apparently, uh, <laughs> and which leads into because eventually Russ says, uh, "You've been a bad, bad boy." It's like I knew it. It's Lou Costello. <laughs> uh, I love his mentality of when people are feeling each other out or whatever, and he's like, "Well, somebody touch somebody soon," because he he's a TV producer. He's like, "Get this shit going." Uh, uh, I I thought the same thing. He looked uh, like a young Richard Keel. 
Uh, Jonathan did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaws. Uh, but with Shemp Howard's hair, yeah. doing, I'm going three stooges all night long here. Uh, he had Shemp's hair to the point where someone was yelling, get a haircut <laughs> from the crowd. If he yeah. <laughs> beat Nick, beat Nick. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> beat Nick. Yeah. Uh, uh, more Russ, great Russ. That was a hard lick in the tummy. Was like, uh, well, that means a lot. That means a totally different thing in 2016 <laughs> than it did in 1950s. Uh, I love when they switch from camera one to camera two, which basically I guess camera two is just flicking a switch on camera one to focus in real hard. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was that was that, that was technology for uh, wrestling at the time. Uh, he said, uh, he's like, oh, let's not have this old routine of I'm going to go home and give my big brother. Uh, those, those are the little colloquialisms that I, I, I love from uh, Russ, yeah. uh, along with uh, this is all ungood for your thinking process. Believe me, during a, a, a some sort of like head strike or something. <laughs> but yeah, not not a great match. I Don Leo Jonathan was one of those guys that when you first bought the magazines, even in the 80s, you know, the after mags mm-hmm. totally put over this, yep. this Don Leo Jonathan guy that you've never seen or heard of. And I don't recall the first time I ever actually saw him. It might even been on a Coliseum video, but I don't think so. And uh, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is one of those um, maybe memories are, are fonder based on legend or something, because I thought he was kind of clumsy even then as a young guy, but that's just this match. Right. Yeah, but uh, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it was particularly good, though. Yeah. Yeah, he, he could have worked bigger. Uh, I mean, he, he worked some big man spots, but he definitely could have worked a lot more big man spots in that match. He looked very clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. He natural. Yeah, I thought he had a great look. Like, I love his look, not just the height, but, like, with the hair. And that was kind of oh, unique. Yeah. Like, people didn't generally didn't have hair that long at that time. And it was a good yeah. little heat magnet thing, I think. Yeah, he should, he should, when, when Vern would be hitting him, he should have been going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and... I loved uh, the burn that he did at the beginning to Vern when he whipped his robe, when like Vern offered his hand for a handshake just before the match started. And Jonathan whipped his robe so it, it struck Vern's hand as he, and then he turned away from him to head to his corner just before the match started. That was an, a cool little touch. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, there was a lot of uh, holds, working holds but not in a particular, uh, particularly interesting manner. I did like when they did the close-ups because you got like everything became a lot more clear, and it, it was just really nice to see the the footage like that because it, it it didn't seem as old then when it got um, when they clo- when it went to that close-up, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it it just it didn't really get, go anywhere this match, um, unfortunately, because I had uh, high hopes for this one. With these two guys, uh, it got a bit rough in the third fall. Like Vern got pretty aggressive at the end, um, but yeah, nothing special, uh, unfortunately. So from there, now we go uh, a few more years ahead to 1958. Now May the second, and at this time, 
uh, Vern's opponent, uh, Edward Carpentier, was a pretty big sensation in wrestling. He'd uh, come over from uh, Europe and set the wrestling world on fire, basically, in around 1956. And he had a style that was, you know, for the time, it was quite unique. Um, he was like a trained... Um, was he a... Uh, what did he do? He did... Gymnastics. Gymnast. Yeah, he was a gymnast. Yeah, I was going to say ballet or ballet dancer, but no, that was Ricky, no, Ricky, no, Ricky. Starr. Yeah, Ricky Starr. Right. Yeah, so he was a gymnast uh, before he got into wrestling. And so he had this repertoire of moves that was, uh, yeah, based on sort of like, you know, contorting your body and doing different things like that. Uh, that uh, unique uh, moves that other guys didn't do. Kind of similar to Rocka in a way, I think. Uh, they were paired up right away as sort of like a dream match, uh, for sure. But at this time, he was actually billed as the NWA champion because they did a an angle in 1957 between him and Luthez in Chicago, I believe, where the match ended in controversy and they actually had split champions for a bit. They had Fez mm-hmm. as the champ, of course, still, and, and Carponti also billed as a champion and the plan was to eventually do a big rematch where they unified the title uh, again and for whatever reason uh, there was some you know political stuff backstage with promoters it didn't happen and um, anyway Carpentier did keep going though in certain areas and and build himself or was billed as the NWA champion and he's billed as such for this match against Ganya and so we have kind of a yeah we have a champion versus champion match because Ganya was the U.S. champ. And um, Pete, what did you think of this one? I want to ask you guys a question. Maybe I want to see if my memory is is right. Isn't Compontier uh, somebody Parv was pushing as a potential super worker based on clips that he had seen? Yes, yes. from the seventies. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I uh, I wish he was here to try to defend this match then. Because we get a full match, and I would not call Compontier one of the uh, unsung or uh, unknown super workers. I thought this match was actively boring. I thought uh, these guys, they, they worked holds, but they didn't work the holds. They just sat in them, so it was really dull to me. And I was expecting a lot more based on uh, Parva really pushing Compontier off of... Uh, the, uh, the 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 highlights that he saw because right. Parv is in that mood mold of uh, when he's watching a lot of seventies footage of uh, drawing conclusions off of highlights and uh, um, and, uh, and 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 edits and stuff. So I really wish wish he was here to 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 get a take on what he was saw here, but uh, he's not. So I, I feel bad kind of sandbagging him here. It's not too bad. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, no, you don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't at all. Um, <laughs> Overall, I thought I thought the match was pretty dull, um, and then on top of it, we got a pretty bad final third fall finish. Of course, Ganya he wins the second fall with the Ganya sleeper. So I mean, they're really doing a good job protecting that sleeper and getting it over because we've seen in all three matches he's win a fall with the Ganya sleeper, and they 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 treat it like it's a like it's a mm-hmm. finish and stuff. So it's really really well done uh, on that. And again, Vern was fine here. But they just, they just, it was just, I just found, found it dull and just didn't resonate at all with me. Mm-hmm. Johnny, uh, any higher opinion on this match than Pete? Uh, no, uh, I think I liked it a little better, but uh, I, 
as it got a little more heated towards the end, like uh, they were doing a babyface babyface match, and therefore it just looked like an exhibition. And you're right, kind of kind of boring. Uh, when it got a little heated towards the end, then some interest picked up. But uh, wow, was Russ on fire here? Because he must have felt the same way as you did, Pete. Because he was just like going on. Like I, first thing I wrote down was a nice sweater with tights. And uh, yeah. he, he and he happens to mention he's like, I'm looking at two guys in a ski sweater and a velvet jacket. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> he, he was and Verd apparently was working an injury or had a bandage on and right. was a really big one. Yeah, and and like a very over exaggerated one. Uh, and Russ was pointing that out. He's like, "What the? Look at the size of that! That's everything that Johnson and Johnson makes just on that bandage. It's, yeah. it's just that. That's when he goes and pardon me for lighting a cigarette. Right, and, right. Uh, and he uh, does not like Ed Whalen. Now, is this the Ed Whalen? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, this is a, just a, a man in Chicago, a referee. Coincidentally named Ed they, Whalen. I was praying that this was the Ed Whalen because he does not like him uh, at no. all. He's like, get out of the way, Whalen. You're in the way, and yeah. they like, and Whalen's got like he's bald down the oh middle, like God. like I am, like I am, but with some hair. Come back, and he's like, yeah, look at the way his hairstyle looks. There, he looks like a Mohawk Indian, you know, like that wrestler <laughs> used to have. He just he just Ridiculous. just railing. He rails on Whalen yeah. all. This entire match. Uh, he, and then there's a photographer at ringside, and he's like, Get out of the way. We have a photographer. I wish he'd get lost. I've hired him twice, and he hasn't taken a good picture yet. And he's just not happy with anything whatsoever. Uh, they're doing the slapping thing. He's like, What, what are we playing? Slap the Patsy? Uh, yeah, it's like they didn't let him take a cigarette. They wouldn't let him take a puff. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> God damn it. And then, uh, what is this? Is when Carpani is doing his step on the hands thing, he's like, stepping on your cuticles and you got him nailed. Especially if he's got, and then he couldn't remember what a hangnail was. Right. It took him a while to get to yeah. hangnail. And then he breaks into, all of a sudden, he's like, I just wanted to let you know, I'm not ribbing the boys. I was like, what the fuck? That kind of backstage talk was there then. He's like, I'm not ribbing the boys. Mm. Matt like, Stryker's influence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. It was almost like he was just like kind of realized that he's just been sitting there shitting on this, you know, for 20 minutes. And points. I'm not ribbing the boys. They they like to come back and listen to what I say and uh, use it as. Mm-hmm. Did, oh wow. Was I? Did I really do that? Uh, Vern. My favorite move, actually, when they're doing like a reverse uh, rolling deal, and Vern's about to sit on Carpentier's face and give him like a stink face, basically. <laughs> and Carpentier is noticeably going, "No, no!" And Vern just plops his ass right yeah, on his yeah, face. Yeah. Uh, shit, like uh, he's, he's like, "My, how I'd like to call him Carpenter!" Like that's the big insult, you know, like to the Frenchie, you know. Uh, and then at the end when everything's going crazy with this finish and Russ is now into the match and he's going crazy and he's yelling this is the biggest fluke I've ever seen in the international amphitheater yeah. well, th- well there it is <laughs> that's how it ends 
he couldn't wait to get out of there. And uh, yeah, I thought this was way too long. And uh, I mean, Carpentier. I think we can't, we can't judge from clips. We can't judge from just this match either. Right. But, uh, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But you can judge it a hell of a lot more from this than just the highlights of Campontier looking yeah. good. What's funny is like all of the, all of like his like wacky high flying shit that we've seen wasn't on. No, I wasn't on. They didn't do it. <laughs> no, it wasn't here. Like it, <laughs> no, you know that, that was the, like I said. I remember seeing him in fucking mid eighties in the WWF making appearances, doing cartwheels and. All kinds of shit. None of this was here. No. Uh, so, and yeah. I just wanted to mention also the idea of that TV belt that you brought up. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that in a promoter's mind at this time during the golden age of television, when television was such a big fucking deal, mm-hmm. that the thinking would be if we call something the TV title, that means more yeah. than the world title because yeah. TV is bigger yeah. at the time. It was such, it was a basically new medium. Yeah. So that's probably what the thinking was. Yeah. I think you're totally correct with that. Cause I think in fact, Fred Kohler, the promoter in Chicago, his plan was to sort of take over the wrestling in the United States by using his TV show, you know, and he was kind of forward thinking in that way, Yeah. but the, the, the time wasn't right. It, it just wasn't possible, but he did want to, you know, use TV to sort of take over wrestling. And yeah, I think that's exactly uh, what he had uh, intended. Um, I feel about the same as you guys, uh, especially with the first two falls of this match. But I mean, a babyface versus babyface match is maybe the hardest matchup to pull off, I think, in wrestling. It's mm-hmm. especially, if you're, especially if you're just mat wrestling. Yeah. Yep. It, someone's got to heal it up at some point. And by the third fall of Carpentier, was and things got heated at that point and i did like the third fall um but it took a long time getting there and you know uh, yeah it's like i'm not gonna i'm never gonna watch this again i doubt so um for the most to be fair on my part i was fighting going to sleep during this match because it was really putting me to sleep yeah i don't know if, if i was tired or if it was just the match uh, so, it or, or yeah. six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kelly, Kelly, you did have a great observation in the chat. Yeah. Uh, that this was um, at times this was the gayest looking thing. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna bring that the most yeah. unintentionally gay uh, looking yeah. wrestling match in history because there's some holds. At one point, Vern is basically like doggy style, fucking Carpentier. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you mentioned the spot where he sits on his face and there is like a 69 <laughs> cover at one point and, and a grecian knuckle lock mind you <laughs> we know how because we know how the, what the greeks like and it was a grecian knuckle lock yeah. so there was things i mean this was a memorable match and the referee with that ridiculous comb over thing <laughs> going and you're right russ davis i don't know i mean he he did have problems with alcohol. I know that. And this may have been near the end of the whole, whole run. You know, he was just sick and tired of wrestling. And maybe could... and it's possible this is one of them. Like he was actually recording it in the studio that morning. Yeah. After a binge. Hungover. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure, I don't I'm, I, 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 I like my drink. And there have been plenty of times in the yeah. morning where I have no, desire, no uh, desire to be talking to people. That's a great point because you do. At one point, I think it's during this match because this is the last of the rust matches we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Uh, he says something about like, 
Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm this old and I'm still doing this. Yeah, he, he says something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I think there was a bitterness at this point, and I'm pretty sure all of the matches that he commentated weren't done live. I think they were all done in a studio with the tape, as far as I know. No, they were because you could see when, 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 when the tape would go to where the commercial would go in, right? And you see those blips in the corner. Those are there. You see them in the movies when you go to the movies. Yeah. Uh, when it was filmed. The, those are there to know the guy who changes the reels. Yeah. That, that gives them their signal to change the reels. Right. So, yeah, you, that's probably absolutely right. Yeah. And the finish of this gives you the impression that um, Vern had won the title because uh, it cuts off. But actually, it was ruled a double countout uh, afterwards. I, it didn't really make sense watching it. Why? Because uh, Vern clearly, I thought, didn't beat the the count, but then the ring announcer announced him as the champ and kept yes. announcing him. And, yes. the and crowd... Russ kept yelling, "Russ kept yelling, no, no, yeah, no. yeah." And the crowd didn't seem to buy it at all. They and were... Vern's a protected star of Chicago, so that right. probably has something to do with it. Like the crowd would look like visibly pissed off at the finish of the match in, yeah. in a way that they just were not pissed off that Vern didn't win. They were just pissed off at the execution. of the finish Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, you know, it was, as soon as the mics went off, he, uh, Russ was yelling, throwing a whiskey bottle, like clinky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So an interesting match from a lot of like perspectives, um, but just not a, an interesting match from like a, a match quality perspective. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation is Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes at PlaceToBeNation.com. You can check out myself as Scott Criscolo on The Mothership, The Place to Be Podcast, home of great interviews, our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews, and WWE Network Live Watches. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you, including the main event featuring a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, WrestleChat.net's Still Real to Us podcast with Jeff Peck, and Wrestling with Optimism, which focuses on what we should be excited about in the world of wrestling today. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast. Sports fans have plenty to dive into as well. We feature The Extra Point with Scott Criscolo and Dr. G, as well as the twice-weekly Bauer Show, The Kings of Sport, featuring live audio wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, The Sports Lounge, hosted by Cowboy and Cowboy Sr., often visited by special guests from inside the world of sports, as well as the NBA Team Podcast with Adam Murray and Andrew Reich for the deep dive into the world of pro hoops. As mentioned, all of these shows are available on PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN is also the home to tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, in Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats' RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net for their support. wrestling podcast to be informed by historical and analytical insight and by obsessive watching of footage from any era and any promotion and for them all to be available on one feed sure do parv chad are you ready to shill i am because i know you're talking about the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network let's go through that again pwo 
PTBN Podcast Network. Got it. That's where you can listen to all sorts of different shows covering the history of pro wrestling in detail. Shows like Titans of Wrestling with my boys Pete, the man of a 10,000 discs, and Kelly, the jobber lover. I'm a jobber Pro lover. Wrestling Super Are Show you? with Stephen Graham. Join me, Stephen Graham. The smash hit wrestling game show Brain Buster with Johnny Sorrow. We have a host of pop contributors like wrestling historian Chris Zellner. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Zellner here, starting a new podcast venture. And the pro wrestling only admins, the man who knows more about 90s wrestling than maybe anybody on earth, Charles, and good old Will from Texas. This is Will, and I'm joined today by my good buddy Charles. Whether it's the territories, WWF, NWA, Mid South, Texas, Portland, tag team wrestling, Japanese wrestling, oh, lucha, I'm old sick. school, new school, we got it. And, of course, the feed still has the mothership itself Where the big boys play. on which we continue our endless journey through WCW Supercards. PWO PTBN Podcast Network. It's pro wrestling only. You know you want to hear it. So now we'll leave the golden age of wrestling behind and head to the, the, the 70s. Um, yeah, here we are, and we're heading to another country. We're heading... To the land of the rising sun, uh, Japan, and the the rising moon, the <laughs> rising moon. Oh yes, I, I that one I didn't want to spoil that in the chat because I think I was the first one to watch this match and I, I was dying to say something. But anyway, we'll get to that. Um, this is from the old IWE promotion in Japan, which was basically the number three promotion behind all japan and new japan uh rusher kimura was the their top star and he was known for a lot of cage matches um whereas the other japanese uh, promotions didn't use the cage gimmick and for and they had a an alliance or a, not an alliance but a, an agreement with the the awa uh to to uh bring to bring in the uh, AWA champion and some of their talent so that's why we have this match and it's uh, Vern Gagne against Billy Robinson also uh not too long deceased um about a year ago I think uh Billy passed away yep yeah so this is uh November 20th 1974 uh the footage quality is great um as um if you know your uh, Japanese footage history uh they have great looking footage um because they had uh, great tv at that time prime time wrestling was often on in uh, prime time in japan at this time and so this is a a long match it's for the awa title at this time the ganya robinson uh i don't know if you call it a feud but it was similar to uh dory funk jr and jack briscoe is a babyface versus babyface program essentially um, a battle of, you know, to see who was the best wrestler, basically was the story behind it. Um, a real competition. And this is, uh, I believe, Pete, you could correct me if I'm wrong, the only full-length match between these two? Yeah, there's one that there's there's one that goes about 20 minutes right. uh, from Kaminsky, Kaminsky, but it's just not nearly the quality of footage this is. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of commercial breaks, but right. they, get about, they go about 18 or 20 minutes on like a 40-minute match, so about half the match is shown. Right. So, you know, at least there's this, because this is, this is um, one you for get everything. The, yeah. yeah, one for the ages. This is a really excellent wrestling match um 
Pete, this is one of your faves, I know. So take yeah. it away. Great match. Uh, I'm just going to throw a little bit more history on this uh, match uh, mm-hmm. in, in the tape trading community. I guess it came uh, it's just recently been discovered. I think maybe about five years ago, maybe between five and seven years ago, hmm. when when Puro Hunter uh, Dan Genity, he, he discovered it uh, on his many travels. I don't know what he does, but he just finds right. footage. He's just a He's like a magician. <laughs> and so he came up with it. And then our own Pete F3 on the board uh, did an incredible Billy Robinson comp that actually got it out more to the masses. And that's when I first saw it because I got mm. that comp, uh, which was tremendous, by the way, if you're a Billy Robinson fan or, or if you're a fan of good wrestling. Um, so that's just a little back history on the, uh, on the, just on the, on the circulation of it. Um, I love this match. I gave it. I've given it as high as four, four and three fourth stars. I think here I gave it four and a half. Uh, it, both guys are tremendous here, and this is like a Billy special because Billy was so good at working the two out of three fall matches because he kept things so interesting. He was actually a guy who was so talented. Sometimes uh, certain people can make call it, make uh, it like make it flawed because he like make maybe maybe like the first fall he's working an arm. The second fall, he's working the back. The third fall, he's working a leg. Because he could do so many different things and make everything right. interesting. So he was kind of almost like a show-off in the ring. Uh, and sometimes people would say that took away from the storytelling of the match. But I never thought, took it that way. I always thought, hey, the first fall, he worked an arm. You know, that's one part of the story. Yeah. And, he, and he didn't win. Now I'm going to switch over to the back in the second fall. Yeah. So I, I think that makes perfect sense. And we see it on display here. Um, we see uh, in the first fall, the thing that, that uh, we must, I got, I'm going to stress the most important thing again, because you guys aren't, guys aren't good. You're not brawling. This is, a, this is Matt wrestling with some strikes thrown in uh, that the key to good Matt wrestling and storytelling here is the struggle. Yep. And both these guys struggled on everything and was looking for counters at every step of the way. So they weren't just sitting in holds. If freaking Billy worked an arm, Vern was looking for the counter and, and was struggling or trying to fight out of it or, or looking for an escape. And it was awesome. Um, and Billy was tremendous in the first fall, working that arm. And then uh, I thought Vern uh, vocally was fantastic uh, in, in his selling. I thought Billy's facials were awesome in this first fall. And again, these guys are just like working holds and these guys are working them and they're struggling and they're fighting um i love billy's attempted counter to burns butterfly suplex and and uh and i thought that was really awesome mm-hmm. i loved um the headlock and and again they're both they're just struggling so every time billy grabbed a hold and Vern reacted and fought and struggled I thought um, a nice piece of psychology here was after Billy would work the head for a little bit, he went to a spinning neck breaker, uh, which I thought was really good for a nice follow-up to the headlocks. I liked Vern's irritating Billy with the slaps. Um, Vern with those three shoulder blocks and a slam was really tight. And then Vern try, uh, ties him up like a pretzel, showing him that, hey, Billy, I'm pretty damn good on the mat, too. <laughs> um, I love Billy's counter with the heel hook. And uh, again, Vern, I said earlier, Vern's vocals have been really good here. Um, both guys are working up a lather, as in they're really, you know, working hard because they're sweating up, building up sweat. Yeah. Um, 
again, Billy has that headlock, and we see some more struggle. And then Ghani, uh, Billy overextends a little, and Ghani catches him with that Ghani sleeper in the first fall. And still, in 1974, you said it was? Yeah. They're still protecting that damn uh, 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 finisher. And that's why, and I love it, you know? I like it when you kind of keep it simple, stupid. It works. Yeah. Um, the second fall, I love how Vern's pressing the action, and we see some nasty forearms by Vern, and, and we see... Uh, Vern controlling all of Billy's stuff. Every time Billy tried something, Vern had an answer to it. And then, but then eventually Billy uh, counters Ghani, which I liked was again, Ghani goes to the Ghani sleeper. But this time Billy has an answer and counters it into the Robinson backbreaker for the three, yeah. which I loved. You know, just great. Looked like Vern was about to finish him off, but boom, mm -hmm. Billy nails him with his finisher. Uh, the third fall, uh, again, it's all storytelling. Billy going after Vern's back, uh, going with the backbreaker. I mean, not back, with the bear hug. Mm -hmm. After winning the last fall with the backbreaker. Fucking great storytelling. Robinson uh, gets that backbreaker for a kneel fall, and Vern gets to the rope. We see a hip-top follow-up by a beautiful butterfly suplex by Robinson, and then Robinson's backbreaker gets to Vern just, just showing great babyface fire by being able to kick out. Another great story, following up, working the back, abdominal stretch by Billy. We both bumped to the outside, and you think they're teasing the ED double count out, which is what I originally yeah. thought. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a great false finish. Mm -hmm. um, back in, and Vern delivers a belly-to-back suplex, uh, and I loved how Bill uh, Billy steals the cover out of it because Vern's exhausted. And then we get a, uh, a double, kind of like a noggin knocker, yeah. uh, double count out. Man, it was just great storytelling. I thought... I thought Billy was the superior worker here, but Vern was fucking tremendous too. Yeah, uh, I, I thought Billy uh, uh, pushed the action, uh, but Vern was great at reacting, mm -hmm. and, and we had a really uh, a classic match that really puts Billy Robinson uh, from the footage. I'd say I, I really think he might be the best worker uh, in the '70s. Um, so great I mean, this feud this mm -hmm. match Fern the Comiskey Park match was great mm -hmm. Billy had great matches with Jumbo yep. he had great he had a great match one of the Abdul, Abdullah's greatest straight straight matches I've ever seen oh I gotta uh, see that yeah just fantastic storytelling Baba the match with Baba, Baba, Baba praised by great. a lot yeah, of people our yeah our yep. Inoki match that is polarizing I happen to love it I want to see uh, that one too yeah, yeah. Just great stuff, and hey, it's on New Japan World, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> and stuff. Uh, I, I I I can't put over Billy Robinson enough, and I feel bad doing it since it's a Vern Gagne show. Uh, but man, but Vern Vern was tremendous here too, and I'm so glad this match came out. And it, it was one of those matches after I saw it the first time made me want to see. I already had a Billy Robinson comp, so I was I was covered there. But I so wanted to see more Vern Gagne. Yeah. And now with the Chicago archives, I'm able to. Uh, and and I'm just I mean I've seen really two real good ones with Vern on the on the 50s and two ones I you know I, they were kind of lukewarm too. But I think I think the good is definitely going to outweigh the bad. Oh yeah, because this Vern, this is Vern like 25 years into his pro career, where he's, this is like his his life's work, his his culmination of his life's work. He was almost 50 in this match, so like the yep. Vern we saw in the early 50s was just starting, and he's a great wrestler. But this is the Vern that's wrestled, you know, thousands of matches by this point, and he's just a master. And it it was yeah. really interesting to see what he could do. Uh, in this match, uh, it was fabulous. Johnny, your thoughts on this one? 
Well, this was like uh, Vern as Ricky Morton without the cocaine or mullet. You know, it the <laughs> selling was just fucking uh, out, outstanding. Now I'm gonna go approach this a little differently. The first 15 minutes of this, I was bored to tears, and this, but I I was kind of under the impression that. And I was watching everything in a row. And I might have just watched that Carpentier match. And uh, yeah. I was like, oh, God, we're going to get guys pretending to wrestle. Ugh, God, I hate that. You know, that's my taste. That's not what I like. You know, yeah, I, just, I mean, I, you, you've never hidden the fact that you're not a Matt wrestling guy. So I, No, no, I, I like it to I like it. In a degree. Uh, to a degree. Not, you're a cup of tea. But, but I was like, I'm like, but then I looked at the, the, the length of the match. And I was like, oh, God, is this going to be fucking... In, like this long of this shit. And no, it wasn't. Cause by the end of this match, I was marking the fuck out. This is a great fucking match. That was. And then I understood upon watching the complete thing. That's the opening salvo. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, and that, it's that kind of to... setting the table for bigger things to come. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was paced. Great. Because uh, you know, it set the table for like the for the big moves and, yeah. and the psychology, the storytelling. I, I, I I, but 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 I was going into them. Like, okay, these two guys in Japan, where they respect that. I was like, okay, it's gonna be <laughs> an hour of fucking guys pretending to wrestle, quote unquote, for real. And I was like, ugh, yeah, no. I'll watch. I, I never overthink it like that, but that's awesome. But that, that's how I was going into. I'm like, ugh, but. Then, oh my God, uh, Vern, it took him forever to just, because oh, he started, every time he was getting grabbed or hit, he'd go, ah, Jesus. Yeah. I was like, what the, and, and it took him forever to only half, he was only half blaspheming. And then by the end of the match, he added in cripes, not yeah, cripes. I, I, I thought we got cripes in there too. It, it was, was cripes. cripes. Yeah. No matter how much pain he was in, he was that much of a good, solid Protestant guy yeah. from Minnesota to only say cripes and not <laughs> Jesus cripes. And, and if uh, you've heard enough Vern Ghani interviews in real life, he uses cripes. Yes, like, no, form- it's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, shit, my mother from New Jersey used to have all kinds of weird ways to blaspheme, yeah, uh, yeah, like changing yeah. words and shit. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but when he would do that, you, you felt it. I was like, oh, he's in pain. Yeah. Like, this hurts. Uh, and you know what else was so impressed about this? Because you heard everything he was saying and you could hear everything because of this excellent TV production, no calling of spots in this. These guys were working this. I mean, if they were whispering, yeah. maybe, but camera didn't pick up a damn thing. They were just working based on how good both guys were. Yeah. Uh, like I said, sec- I wrote this down. Second fall in, and I am down. Uh, I like the ref. He's like the opposite of the Luke Costello ref from earlier. He's like the Japanese version of him, looking wise, but is just a great ref. I, I was really getting into his ref work <laughs> and how how he, how he was handling this match and and, and uh, uh, going from English into Japanese. Right. With, uh, the way uh, he thought he was fantastic. That fucking backbreaker. That Robinson hits to get that fall. Just, I jumped out of my chair. I was like, what the? Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, The bear hug, the leading that that you mentioned, Pete. The forearms, 
to get out of that bear hug. I was like, that's some stiff looking shit, man. That was oh, fantastic. And then I, I, everything is like, okay, so he hits that backbreaker again and Vern kicks out. It just leads me into like, like some modern viewers watching this going, oh, so now they're just kicking out of finishers that worked <laughs> earlier. Oh, this is terrible. They're kicking out of finishers. You know, go keep these. Sp- spamming finishers. Finish, finishers. They're spamming, spamming finishers. They're spamming finishers now. Just, just so they can have an exciting end uh, portion of this match. Well, yes. How dare they be exciting and tell a story? <laughs> Zeros. Uh, now, when they roll out of there, did they land in mud? Because they came up fucking like, the hell did you land in a, a fucking pigsty? They're covered in this gray mud. It's like, this, this is not Arena Mexico. This is Japan. What the fuck? Uh, and speaking of, of where they are at, by the end of this match, that proper Japanese crowd was Rocking nuclear hot, they yeah. were nuclear hot, exactly, bro. Uh, just shaking. I mean, it was shaking, it was, it was so fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, like I said, this was one of those great things, Pete, where like it's like a, you know, it starts, and I'm going, Ugh, this is gonna stink. And 40 minutes later, I am like, This fucking rules. <laughs> so, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think those are the so, best type of matches, yeah. Where you're, like you're yeah. sitting on your hands, lukewarm, yeah, but they suck you in, and then you just fucking pop yeah. in, yep. yeah, yeah, yep. that's the best. That's it that's is. good work to me. Yeah. That's good work, yeah, totally. you're sitting there. Because you, you honestly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you did this, but you did have a little bit of preconception what yeah. was going to happen. Oh, well, no, no, be. I had preconception based on the opening. Right, and, right. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, they're doing this great. Yeah. But well, I, no, loved so I, think, okay. I loved how they were yeah. able to turn. That's what I loved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. Because it built to what I wanted. And the, and I was thinking, like, they're going to do this for an hour. And I am going to just want to just crawl under a fucking rock. Right. And no, that's just the opening salvo. Uh, and like I said, and it just, and like I said, and Vern, his, he was selling like an old man. Mm-hmm. You know who's still fighting back, and then they had the the handshake at the end, which was cool and all yeah. that. You know, because yeah. but uh, you know, I would have preferred if they did went to the handshake and Robinson like clobbered him with something. But you know, <laughs> that's, that's the American in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I liked when Robinson got the flowers early and he gave the crowd the bird. Um, oh, yeah. did he? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah, fuck your flowers. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, you know, I love this one uh, as well. Um, both guys were great. Vern was uh, really good. Robinson, like you said, Pete, um, wow. He was a special worker at his peak. Um, just amazing. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I I loved I loved this. I love just yeah how it built and it, it, to a great crescendo at the end, and it it ended you know with no clear winner, but it wasn't a disappointing finish. Uh, I didn't think in any way. Um, oh, a few notes uh, that I uh, have here. Um, there was a wrestler at ringside. Um, both guys had, uh, in being Japan, you had your sort of uh, young boys or whatever, your cornermen, right? Yeah, yeah. Who was the brother? Do you 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 would know him from Titans of Wrestling episode number nineteen, the unspecial Bobo Champagne, the Champagne, no man. Way. Yeah. the Champagne Man, Jerry Morrow. No, no way! way. Yeah. No yeah. way! Yeah, because I, I saw him. I was like, is that Jerry Morrow? 
Because it looked I thought it was like shit for a minute. Then I thought it was uh, Bobo. I'm like, that's not fucking Bobo. No. I was, I was, like, I was like, that's the only black guy in Japan at that time, and I don't know who it is. It's funny because then I checked on wrestling data to see if Morrow was wrestling in the IWE at that time, and yes, he wrestled there extensively between <laughs> 1971 and 1977. Uh, his name in Japan was Jiro Inazuma, uh, and he wrestled there for six years. Um, the champagne man Jiro Inazuma is here to tell you the champagne is flowing in Tokyo. That's crazy. I know. That is crazy. That was such a random uh, appearance. It was great. Oh, man. Now I really wish Parv was on the show because his, be, his head would be spinning at this point. Yeah, because I threw that up like... on the chat, too. I had, a surprise, I had a surprise guest for this match. Yeah. yeah I was oh, was. wow. That's nuts. Yeah, this has far exceeded my expectations. <laughs> yeah. Because I read it written down, I forgot to bring it up about the only brother in the crowd was uh, this yeah. guy, and I, I totally forgot about it. And oh my, Moro! Yeah, I, I was trying to guess the brother too, because I'm like, okay, it's got to be the black guy. Yeah. I go, that, that, I'm like, that can't be Willie McCovey. I really thought Willie it was the actor, <laughs> San Francisco Giant for his face. Yeah, I know who that yeah. is. Why would he be yeah. there? <laughs> and I'm just running through the gauntlet of who is this guy. It was almost like my Ric Flair picture that we were all guessing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mystery And then H well. did finally say that it was Tony Atlas. Yeah, it was Tony Atlas. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even have to ask him like an idiot. The champagne man now has smart credential because he was a young boy in Japan. <laughs> yeah. And he was intently watching this match, yeah. studying it move for move. For sure, young boy. Yeah. So, no, that's, that's a neat little, uh, for longtime Titans of Wrestling fans, there's a neat little uh, thing for you guys. Um, and then at the end, um, with, with the guys tumbling out of the ring... And, and not to be disrespectful to anybody or, or make light of this match, but I had to point out, you know, uh, they do the whole, you know, guys trying to get back in the ring and they're pulling them down to prevent them to get back in the ring. And unfortunately, Billy pulls a little too strongly on Vern's trunks and we get a, a, a full Vern moon um, yes. for us all yep. to enjoy. That even gets the crowd laugh a little. <laughs> a little bit, uh, which, which also... Uh, led to uh, when you go to the YouTube comments on this one. Uh, uh, Scooter Scooter one sixty seven says Vern Gagne has one hot ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, it rivaled like Ric Flair for for greatest ass white bear man's ass in wrestling history. Oh. It was awesome. Anyway, <laughs> this match was great. Uh, and another reason why I think Parv is not on this show is then he would have to have to defend uh, Jack Briscoe's performance, uh, Jack Briscoe performance against this Billy Robinson performance. So I don't know if he was up for the challenge. Oh, I thought it's you were going to say uh, he was going to defend Jack Briscoe's bare ass against. Parv. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 chops. You know, Dory Funk Jr. had the greatest bare ass. <laughs> One must learn to appreciate Dory Funk Jr.'s bear ass. <laughs> okay, so now, oh gosh, um, we're moving on later in the 70s. Uh, 1977, the year I was born. Um, for Vern against Nikolai Volkov, and this is from Madison Square Garden, our stomping grounds. 
uh, for uh, you know most of our episodes, or at least the the early year uh, and a half or year, I guess, of uh, Titans Wrestling. We almost did exclusively uh, matches from uh, the WWF, of course, and uh, Madison Square Garden very often. And I thought at this point I'd uh, give you a bit of history because um, that's what I do. And uh, for the history, I thought I'd look at Vern in New York City and um, look at, you know, how what he did over the years there. Because he did work there in the 50s um, somewhat frequently. Uh, he was pushed uh, at various times as like the main guy in New York, actually. Um, so I'll get into this. Uh, his first match in MSG was October 27th, 1953. It was a main event against the mighty Atlas and that show drew over 15,000 people. And so at this point, um, uh, New York was controlled basically by Fred Kohler, uh, from Chicago. Cause he had TV, his TV got into New York. Uh, there had been a struggle for years to gain supremacy in New York. Nobody was able to really consistently draw well at the garden. And uh, since it costs so much to run in the garden, you had to draw well almost every time. So it kept switching from promoter to promoter. And Kohler got basically the chance to promote it. Jim Barnett, I think, was the guy he sent out to actually run the shows in New York, who was uh, his uh, right-hand man at the time. Wow. Yeah, and led later, of course, a legendary promoter in his own right. And good, good friend of Vince Sr. Yes, yes. Big ties uh, to New York eventually. Um, so, uh, Vern, as we talked about before, was the big star on Kohler's TV in Chicago. So he was the big star that they used to main event in New York at this time. So the first number, 15,581, was a pretty good number. Um, but the next show, uh, he, uh, headlined was the next month, uh, November, 1953 against Killer Kowalski in the main event. And that drew basically half the attendance, 7,522. And then the next month, he took on Rocca, Argentina Rocca, who um, was already a legend, basically, in the New York area uh, for a main event. And that match only drew 11,651. They ran a rematch a couple months later. That drew 15,000. Pretty big. But Rocca was, you know, a huge star in New York. So I'm not sure how much you can uh, put that on Vern. And then in March of 1954, he, uh, Vern had a main event against Hans Schmidt, and that drew, disappointingly, only 7,555. And then, I believe at this point, there was, um, basically, they kind of gave up on New York, the Kohler group, because uh, there was, I think, a long period where there wasn't another show. And I believe that was kind of almost Vern's sort of uh, last chance as a main eventer. He did come back. Uh, later in 54 against Pat O'Connor in the second from the top match on a show that drew over 12,000. Uh, he main evented a show actually in December 54 against someone named Roy McClarity, who I'm not familiar with at all. And that, that drew 11,000. And then he took on McClarity again in early 1955 on a show second from the top. Um, that drew 10,000. And then mid-55, he took on Rocca again in a main event at MSG, but that only drew 7,500. Pretty disappointing. That was the last MSG show until October. Um, so they were struggling to, yeah, mid-55, they were struggling to, to draw with anybody, really, in New York. 
And then he only had one more uh, shot in New York. It was a main event, or one more shot in the 50s in New York, uh, February 4th, 1957, tagging with Argentina Rocca against Hans Schmidt and Carl von Hess. Uh, there's a German super team for you. And that drew almost 20,000. That was a huge uh, number, 19,300. But that was the last match Vern would wrestle at MSG until 1972. So in between, of course, he uh, formed the AWA. And for most of the 60s, I think uh, things were pretty provincial. And um, the AWA mostly stayed to themselves. Um, at one point, they had tried, uh, Vern tried to promote in L.A. in 1969 and got into a kind of a turf war with the NWA. Um, uh, Vern had the Great Western Forum booked, actually, which was, of course, where the Lakers played and the LA Kings and uh, the NHL. But uh, the NWA loaded up their shows, and uh, and they totally smoked the AWA. But by the early 70s, you know, things had uh, calmed down, and Vern came back to New York uh, November of 72 against Buddy Wolf. Uh, in an undercard match. He was the AWA champion at this time. Uh, in 1973, February 26th, he took on Eddie Graham at MSG, who was a sub for Ray Stevens. And that would actually be uh, Eddie Graham's last ever MSG appearance. Uh, a guy who wrestled there a lot when he was younger as part of the Golden Graham's tag team. And uh, Can you imagine, though, if they added that in the vault of the original match of Vern and Ray Stevens? Jesus. Yeah. There's one, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kelly, Kelly, I, I, I have to interrupt because I just went on to look up uh, McClarity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, on online uh, world of uh, wrestling, it says that yeah, he held the uh, NWA World Tag Team Championships with uh, Pat O'Connor, uh, he and Billy Watson, uh, the Canadian Canadian oh, Tag Whipper Team Watson. titles yeah. with Don Leo Jonathan, uh, and under. <laughs> It's. I'm not kidding. Under career highlights, it says March 27th, 1998. Roy McClarity passed away. <laughs> yeah, that site is is not the greatest. <laughs> that's what they have as his career highlight. He is died. That he died. <laughs> oh God. So you're not getting Kelly's uh, thumbs up on your research. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I tried. Roy I tried. <laughs> I will I'll try, attempt to honor the memory of Roy McClarity at some point. Um, so, yeah, uh, back to Vern in New York in the 70s. Uh, in 70, uh, or November 12th, 73, he took on Mr. Fuji at MSG. Uh, hmm. Uh, now that I've looked at Fuji a bit, I definitely won't lie. I'll say I'm a little interested to see that match. Oh, I should mention that the matches I've been rattling off at MSG in the 70s, these were all uh, the from the untelevised shows, unfortunately. The one we're going to look at against Volkov, I believe, is the only televised Vern MSG match from the 70s. Um, quickly here, 1975, August 9th, he teamed up with Andre, the Giant, and took on the Valiants in a tag wow. match. Yeah, that would be something to see. Um the Valiants were super hot at that time as uh, as uh, heel champs in New York. Uh, then we have, of course, the match with Volkov, uh, August 29th, 77. And then Vern's last match at MSG was April 30th, 1979, against Mr. X, who was played by Jack Evans, who uh, we looked at a few 
episodes back, uh, one of the 1975 shows. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that was it, Vern. Like, surprisingly, a surprising amount of matches in the 70s, I thought, for Vern. Um, and then in the 50s, you know, he was at one time sort of the face of uh, MSG wrestling for a few, about a year or so. So, yeah, I mean, it was tough for guys like Vern and uh, Fez as well to draw in New York. They never really got over. Uh, New York, of course, legendary for relying on the the quote-unquote uh, ethnic draws uh, from Rocca to San Martino to Morales. Uh, those guys dominated the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So, But still, uh, some, some good numbers, but also some uh, poor numbers. But it was a, a time when wrestling in New York wasn't uh, consistently hot, so you can't totally fault Vern for that. Right. I, I was just thinking the same thing you said, dude. That, uh, like, uh, amidst all these, uh, quote unquote, ethnic baby faces, here comes Vern Gagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From the Midwest. Yeah. The Viking. That's an uphill struggle for Vern there in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we have this match uh, from the Garden, uh, April 29th, 77, against Nikolai Volkov. And, you know, since I had that history, of course, uh, actually, while well, we had this match and the history, you know, it goes hand in hand, of course. So, Pete, what did you think of this one? I thought it was a nice showcase match for Vern. Uh, that's pretty much all it is. I yeah. mean, he, he kind of goes through his greatest hits of what he does. We see him, like, you know, playing a little cat and mouse. We we see him slap uh, Volkov a little bit. We see him uh, work the arm. We see him uh, do some leg uh, trips and leg dives on Volkov. Uh, we see, you know, uh, basically what he can do. And uh, he got over. And uh, I thought Volkov was a good opponent for him because Volkov – for how big he was, he was pretty damn agile at this point in his career mm-hmm. and was able to move and make Vern, not make Vern look good, but uh, uh, do the illusion that Vern just conquered a giant and stuff. And uh, I thought it was a good showcase Vern and made Vern, I thought, came out looking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, it really gives uh, another emphasis to that, you know, like, you know, only the biggest stars work the garden. Right, like the thing, and he's there. And Volkov at that time was a perfect guy that he could, uh, you know, lose uh, lose to Vern. Doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volkov Volkov looked fucking like badass in those black fucking tights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, it's really fucking badass. Yeah. Uh, I was a bit more on Vince Junior mm-hmm. on commentary here because at one point. He he mentioned Vern Gagne, the former AWA champion. He has a son, Greg Gagne, who's a, an up and comer, uh, the current AWA champion. Nick, Miss, Miss, he's a Mister Nick Bockwinkle. Mm-hmm. It was always everyone was Mister. Yeah. There's a Mister Greg Gagne, Mister <laughs> Nick Bockwinkle uh, is the current champion, and I'm like my mouth is dropping. I'm like what? And then he goes, and, and over in the NWA, of course. <laughs> Mr. Harley Race is still dominating. I'm like, what the fuck is? Why? I mean, I know they back they used to drop references uh, mm-hmm. now and again. Mm-hmm. Like they mentioned David Von Erich dying on yeah. WWF television, yeah. but this was just a flat out. Hey, here's the AWA, here's the NWA, and Vince is happy to say it. Vince is really into Vern. That's He's true. Put, 
he's putting him over like a crazy, like just crazy, and then gets off this line. Well, Vern Gagne has proven you don't have to be six foot eight and three hundred pounds <laughs> to be a professional <laughs> wrestler. Oh, and I heard irony. that, and, and my and my my <laughs> head starts spinning. I'm oh, like, yeah. wait a minute, Vince McMahon Jr. said that is talking about the other promotions. This is Bizarro Vince from the Bizarro world. Yeah, this yeah. is Vince shitting on a, shitting over his own product, uh, <laughs> his, his own flaw, wrestling philosophy. I'm going, what the fuck? It, it's it, it. It didn't sound like he was. It, it didn't sound like he was forced to do it. He said very excited about talking about this. Uh, <laughs> then, but when he says the the line, you don't have to be six foot eight and three hundred pounds to be a professional wrestler. There's a long pause. He goes, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's the real Vince talking. Yeah, right but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> but it blew me away. And uh, like, and Pete's Pete already nailed the fucking match for what it was. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a f- after these long matches we've just watched. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a fun little uh, breath of fresh air, short exhibition uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's about what it was. It was similar, I thought, to the, that Carpentier match from a few shows ago against um, Big Joe Nova, where it was just, you know, this guy that is usually or hasn't been in the area in years. And his right. legend is in to, like, show off and just, you know, give the fans uh, a Vern Gagne match. Uh, yeah, but, but but I never felt bad for uh, Nikolai. Like, no. I, did, I did feel bad for Big Joe Nova. Yeah. Know, this douchebag was making him look this poor young <laughs> yeah. idiot. Volkov was a and – and Pete, that was a great point about Volkov really making it, really selling the fact that Vern is killing a giant. Uh, that was he. That was great work on Volkov's uh, Volkov's part. Yeah, that's true. Well, Volkov, I mean, he had sure. a, a great run. First as one of the Mongols, of course, he main evented against Bruno and MSG, and kept coming back. Uh, they brought him back for various uh, runs with uh, Bruno. Yes, yes we had the legendary argument on Parv. We didn't understand why. Uh, I believe it was Bruno destroyed Volkov. Yes, well, I remember that, that match. Yeah, that was that one of the first shows we did. Very argument, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, I th- and I also like I, I pointed this out before, but Volkov's one of those guys I think Vince Junior uh, always felt a loyalty to. Uh, yeah. He's down to like, you know, let's bring him back again, you know, and put him with DiBiase. Yeah, like, hey, let's put him Why? in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. Oh yeah, because he has such a long tie, uh, long ties to the yeah. to the company. Yeah, this was uh, fine uh, for what it was. It, great to see Vern in the the setting, you know, because it's unusual. It's it's this, uh, it's, you know, it's like a crossover in the comic books. It's like a guy from DC coming into a Marvel comic. Or That's something. exactly right. Good analogy. Good analogy. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so neat to see those things. Uh, I love uh, little bits like that. So now for our main event of the evening, as uh, it was. Uh, Hundreds of times, probably in the 70s uh, and in early 80s in the AWA promotion. Uh, And we're back. We've come full circle to the International Amphitheater in Chicago all these years later. Oh, wow. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yep. Uh, Because that was, I mean, Chicago, of course, became a main city in the AWA um, from the mid-60s onward, I think. 
And uh, so here we are in Chicago. Uh, we have uh, Japanese commentary. This was a card that had uh, Jumbo Saruta on it, Genucha Tenru, Giant Baba. So that's why we have the Japanese uh, uh, film production of this, because it was shown on TV in Japan. Uh, I don't think they filmed many cards from Chicago otherwise at this time. I can't say I've uh, seen them anyway. I think there might have been a couple on the AWA set, but I'm yeah. just guessing. Yeah, I mean, AWA wasn't known for filming their house shows. That's until the into the 80s, I think. Um, so, yeah, we got uh, Vern Gagne against Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA championship February 10th, 1979. And uh, first off, uh, the ring is is covered in blood basically and uh <laughs> i i had to check who may have caused this damage and i'm guessing the giant baba versus abdullah the butcher match from earlier on the show is probably oh, that sounds like a winner to me yeah <laughs> yeah dude dude I, I i gotta jump in on this i was gonna mention but about that mat that mat looked like a memphis mat number one <laughs> and it was it Whenever they did a long shot, it looked yellow, and I was thinking that's not yellow because it started yellow. It's yellow because it's caught hepatitis from all that fucking blood on that fucking match. On that mat. It is Abby's blood, so there's a good chance she obviously has hepatitis. Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, fans, you got to check this out. I mean, if not for anything else, but the ring is like a Jackson Pollock painting of uh, blood splattered all over the place. Oh, my God. Dude, I have that written down right here. (laughs) I wrote down a mat looks like a Pollock painting. (laughs) Great 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 minds. minds, Great minds. Anyway, uh, Pete, what did you make of this one? I liked the match. It It had its flaws. Like, I thought Vern took way too much of the match. He's the challenger and box the champion. And Vern, I mean, if, if part of things backlin takes a lot of a match, Vern uh, takes a ton more uh, and takes the rest of the match. It was, I think you got Bach with like three or four minutes of some stooging. <laughs> and we pretty much had Vern with uh, like 17 or 18 minutes on top. Uh, and what he did was good. And I mean, like, he worked the arm and did the arm drag and. And then he's slapping Bach to get under his skin. And you see Ganya working uh, the mound and just tying Bachwinkle and pretzels. Um, you see him lighting up Bachwinkle's strikes. And we're back to uh, Ganya manipulating him on, him on the mat. And uh, But basically what Bach's offense is is pretty much stooging. He's begging a hoff and, 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 uh, and just, you know, trying to get away and and stuff, and you see Gandhi back on the arm, and and he's and, and Gandhi is real good working that arm. Uh, you see Bach trying to escape it by hitting in the ribs, and he gains a little bit of control, but it's short-lived, and Vern's controlled back, and he doesn't need to Bach, and, and he uh, uh, Vern dings the knee, Bach goes after it, uh, Bach goes for the figure four, but Vern, uh, you know, uh, kind of, he's in it for like a little bit, but Vern kind of shit cans all the legwork that was done on him. Uh, both take this big bump to the outside. Ganya sleeper, and you uh, see Heenan interfere for uh, for for the for the finish. And 
way, you know, everything's going going haywire. But yeah, it was just Vern. Everything he did was technically good, what Vern did. And it made sense, but he just did way too much of it. Just too much on top. And Bonkwinkle looked like a... I'm all for trying to make the challenger uh, look strong. But Vern, we all, everyone knows Vern's already strong. Yeah. And he's been the legend of the territory for years at this, by this point. So there's no reason of having to make him look super duper strong uh, to the extent of your champion look like a putz at that point. I mean, he really made uh, <laughs> Flair, I don't think, ever looked this weak in a uh, title match. <laughs> uh, do you agree, Johnny? Was this a big uh, cock stroke by, by Vern here? Uh not the way I, not the way I took it. You know, I wasn't thinking that because I was just, just amazed by how awesome fucking Nick Bockwinkle is, especially uh, then, and that's you know, he's youngish <laughs> there, <laughs> and uh, no one, no one takes a punch like Nick Bockwinkle. Yeah, that's true. Just, just I mean, we we go on and on about who gives a great punch, who can fucking take a great punch, Bockwinkle. The way he takes a punch is just fucking amazing. I was sitting there watching this the whole time, and that's where I was going. Like in my in my head about how awesome Bachwinkle is, to where I'm thinking like I think I might like Bachwinkle more than I like Ric Flair. Yeah, you know, after getting to watch all this, because I mean I first got introduced to him, you know, late in his career. Yeah, uh, and some some there was some boring stuff. Uh, over the last few years, I've been watching like Prime Bockwinkle, and I was like, I think I like him even better, uh, especially as that sort of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've, I've made the talking point before where I thought Bockwinkle and Buddy Rose were the two best ever at doing different matches every single night. Where yeah, they were yeah. Able to switch things yeah. up, and I felt point. those two were the best I've ever seen in wrestling, yeah. being able not to, to break the mold and do something different. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when they they showed the AWA belt there, yeah, it was shiny. Uh, <laughs> I know it's I brand like, new. I mean, did, did, did like by the time by the time Stan Hansen ran it over, man, it looked like ancient. It was like <laughs> Vern's like, I'm not spending any money on fucking belt polish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for fuck a dash. Cripes, cripes, cripes. Cripes. Too much money. Yeah, I'm not cripes. spending money on fucking belt. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Don Knotts, your referee, to bring it all home. Uh, <laughs> we started with Lou Costello in the yeah. 50s. We ended with Don Knotts in the 70s as your referee uh, with with the blue and white striped pants. <laughs> great. Uh, boy, that front row was full of a bunch of greasy-looking yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota fucking redneck guys with their baseball caps and they're still wearing, they're wearing their winter coats because I guess... <laughs> It's February. It's it's cold even in the arena, and they're just like surly and greasy looking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what? But when they in there drinking their schlitz or wherever. Schlitz, uh, yeah. That's Milwaukee, but yeah. Oh, uh, yeah that's at one point, they they roll out of the ring, and I, you notice the the other only brother in in the fucking arena <laughs> is uh, sitting at, uh, at the ringside table, and he looks exactly like Venus Flytrap. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was laughing at what was going on. Uh, Only 70 sitcom reference that Johnny's done today is Venus Flytrap. Yeah, Venus Flytrap was there. Well, you know. Flipping. <laughs> wow. I was like, damn. 
Do you know yeah. that's from uh, Kelly? Of course, of course. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then uh, at one point, I guess I, I guess I guess uh, Vern was doing something uh, to him, but it's all I wrote was like the, the people in the crowd started to get chanting, "Do it again! Do it again!" To, to hit him or what have you. And then the finish, where it's a very basic. Uh, oh wait, before the finish, kind of gets Heenan gets involved, gets posted. Now Heenan does what I can only <laughs> call a Lou Albano uh, blatant blade job. But at the same time, if you don't think that he's cutting himself with a razor blade, it just looks like a guy who's touching his forehead to see if he's bleeding. Right. To us, it looks like well, I just watched him cut himself. To someone else, he, it looks like he's touching himself. And he comes up looking like the Tate LaBianca murders. <laughs> Charlie Manson got all, and his people got a hold of fucking Heenan. Just <laughs> covered in fucking blood. <laughs> covered. Yeah. Just, and so so the, the, the dissatisfying finish uh, for this crowd is is uh, is waved off yeah. because they get to see that douchebag Bobby exactly. Heenan covered in blood. Yeah, like like holy fuck! That's how that giant scar happened on his yeah. head. That's how Vince got him. He's like he's like uh, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm I'm, I'm going. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and then but then Stanley Blackburn, yeah. his dumb mustache, has to come out and explain the finish. To the ref when it's a very obvious DQ, <laughs> and you have Vern Gagne, the guy who's been champion a bunch of times, a veteran of so many years, apparently not understanding that the belt doesn't change hands on a disqualification and complaining to the referee. And like, <laughs> but that's that's the story to tell the crowd. You don't want him going, yeah. You know, the crowd wants to see him going, wait a minute, shouldn't I win? And that's that that's like the script uh, of that of that finish to where you go. Well, shouldn't he know that it's not a you don't win the title that way? You know, he owns the fucking joint. Uh, But it works for me going for that audience. You're playing this role in this play and that's the, the way it's done. Uh and I, I didn't. I didn't care so much about Vern being on on top as much as he was. I was kind of giggling at it, but, but watching Nick Bockwinkle stooge and sell uh, is to me such a work of art that that's what I was uh, transfixed on. So this gets a thumbs up. Yeah, I would give it a thumbs up too. But it, yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I mean, I gave it three and a quarter star match. I mean, I still enjoyed it, but I was definitely a. Uh, uh, a, a, a blowjob to burn. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no. Like I say, I, 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 I totally see uh, what you're saying there. But like I said, I by this point, I was like, I've seen a lot of Vern. I'm focusing on Bach now, <laughs> and and how he's one of the greatest, greatest right. per- performers of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did the same thing. I, I focused a lot on Bachwinkle. Um, so great. One of the best heels ever. Um. Yeah, like the backland comparisons are very apt because <laughs> it was Vern dominating and then 
Bachwinkle would get a brief. He like he brought Bachwinkle was getting hope spots, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah he, didn't, he didn't get a run on top at all. Yeah, it was all hope spots. Yeah. The heel, the heel got hope spots. Yeah, yeah, he he, he slapped on a uh, figure four on on Vern, yeah. and it was reversed like a second later. No, let me ask now. At this point, was Vern still an active competitor, or was this one of his old man comebacks? Uh, he was. Well, he was still. It was before his comebacks, but his schedule had been greatly reduced. Yeah. For most of the seventies, actually, like he wrestled sort of just the big shows for the seventies, even when he was still the AWA champ. Because that's how I can see how they could explain wanting to work it that way. Is is the crowd wants to see the old man right. kick some ass? And this may have been his first match in Chicago in a long time. And remember, the title switch in seventy-five actually happened in Chicago. Where Bob oh. beat Ganya, so that's probably uh, that probably had a lot to do with the booking of this match. Yeah, because I think we're like one year away from like his retirement match, right? Or a year and a half, something like that. Yes, in Comiskey Park. Yeah, right. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, about a year, 1980. Well, the, so at this the, point, there's really no reason for Vern though to be e guzzling up the champion. Well, no, the, to me that makes it that makes it what uh, Kelly just said makes it make sense that they had they'd seen this that uh, before when he loses the belt, and now they get to see. Vern Gagne beat the shit out of this asshole. Basically. Well, yeah. yeah, is is, is the, the way it's booked. Yeah, you could look at it as the blow-off of their Chicago portion. Although the the title switch did happen in Chicago, too. So. Um, uh, the, the Vern win was in Comiskey Park. Uh, Heenan's, yeah, Crimson Mask is, is awesome. Uh, that was what he was famous for in the 70s was the full, Jesus. The full facial. Um, and, and dripping blood, uh, adding to the, that mat had to be like thrown and burned afterwards. <laughs> we can't use this one again. We got his blood all over. No, 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 no. They sold, they sold it to Jerry Jarrett. For <laughs> yeah, that probably. Yeah. <laughs> what disagreement on the blow off, Johnny? I'll say the blow off was when Vern won the title and retired it. I that would be the blow off in their feud, but whatever. Well, well, no, yeah, no, I meant the blow Chicago. off for the city. I meant the yeah, blow off right. for the city. But then that, the, that, the, that the, title the, switch did happen in Chicago too. But yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, it was. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, we're kind of just piecing this. Story yeah, this is together. just crap. This is oh, just oh, oh, oh we're, col- we're we're Columboing this like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, the finish was interesting with the blood, and the, the crowd was. Getting kind of ugly at the end, um, and that wasn't like, get, getting ugly. <laughs> getting ugly. One of the nastier looking crowds I've seen in a while. Like in the fifties at the International Amphitheater, you had you know everyone was in suits, and it was a you know kind of respectable looking audience. But twenty uh, plus years later, shit had uh, changed in Chicago. <laughs> It's yeah. a fucking, it was the fucking 60s those goddamn hippies yeah and the, you know the, there was no we have no 60s wrestling footage because of the hippies and yeah. and then their fashion influence ruined the 70s <laughs> yeah so yeah this was like the dark end of the 70s right here Vern couldn't regain the strap and uh yeah <laughs> anyway so yeah this uh brings us to the end of our our look at uh, Vern Gagne and I enjoyed it a lot um I wouldn't have watched I definitely wouldn't have watched the Billy Robinson match probably anytime soon if it wasn't for for this if it yep. wasn't for him dying uh, 
Thank God. No, uh, of course. Thank God the old man died so I can <laughs> enjoy see this match. Yeah, thank God he died. We got that great Meltzer a bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank God he died so the the uh, par of JDW feud was rekindled on PWR. <laughs> <laughs> so many things to be grateful for here. But no, in all seriousness, um, <laughs> Vern Gagne was an excellent wrestler, excellent performer. Um you know, we kind of, you know, we looked at uh, some really good matches and some that were dull. But, you know, when you look at a guy's career, you're not going to have all uh, classics. And uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Pete? Uh, I, I, I loved watching the footage. It was really, it was really a treat. Just, I mean, especially watching the evolution of Vern. Uh, different different aspects of it, uh, and I definitely want to say thanks to the Chicago Film Archives uh, yep. for putting yep. that stuff on the YouTube. I also want to thank them. I've they've been really they've been big supporters of the show. Whenever we've reviewed their uh, footage for the for the show, they've probably retweeted it out and uh, yep. you know got some followers that way. So I um, mean that's cool. And again, guys, follow us at Titans O Wrestling uh, on our Twitter handle. Um, get some links to the show. Some neat stuff talk wrestling a lot uh but okay back to an unplugging uh again yeah i just had a blast uh, kelly i loved your history piece johnny it's Thanks. always a pleasure um <laughs> uh, you know it was, it was great that you're on russ davis watch on our Vern Gagne uh, um obit special <laughs> well well you, what am uh, I'm, I gonna kidding do? You, repeat, I'm kidding you i'm kidding you said? i know i'm just teasing <laughs> Vern, Vern, we're, we're, we're talking about Vern. Johnny's talking about Russ Davis. <laughs> it's a duo. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's both guys. I'm just busting your balls. You talked about the matches. You're absolutely right. What am I going to say? Ditto? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm just good busting your balls, buddy. Um, yeah, I, I had a blast. And uh, Vern, I really uh, – he's such a great, great uh, – yep thing i i didn't see raw so i don't know if they did this special but on the uh they did it on the king of the ring and they did a nice little uh, uh piece i don't know if they would just recycle it office hall of fame yeah. but it really doesn't matter it, it was it was nice nicely well done mm. showed Vern in different different lights mm. for a couple minutes and i thought that was really neat and stuff so uh to Vern Gagne to a to a great wrestler uh i, can't, I don't want to talk about him as a man but i will say he was uh well respected in the community of Minnesota, where even Bud Grant went to his funeral. Right. It was the old Minnesota yeah. Viking uh, head, head coach, coach, legendary head coach. So, uh, which says a lot to have uh, real figures like that in the sports will come to your funeral. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to add uh, number one again. Yes, it's a blast. Uh, this is a lot of fun to do. Uh, but uh, again, it's uh, to state the importance of Vern Gagne. Uh, as uh, one of the pillars of where professional wrestling is built on, you know, there's only a few, and Vern Gagne was one of them. So, yeah, people can say, "Oh, he made this mistake. Oh, he was this sort of a promoter. Oh, he pulled this sort of dirty trick." Well, you know what? That's what wrestling is. Everyone did it. Yeah. Okay, there are very few foundations upon which wrestling is built on that we enjoy to this day, and Vern Gagne is one of those pillars and uh, deserves all the respect in the world. Yeah. Just for that, in this, if we, we all say we're wrestling fans and we love wrestling, mm -hmm. then respect that uh, for the man. He was, uh, 
one of the most important figures ever in uh, the wrestling business. Yeah. Here, here. Here, here, John. Yeah. You know, hey, wow, here, we here. did that together. Wow, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was good, good, good saying, Johnny. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Um, I'll echo the sentiments. I mean, yeah, this was a ton of fun to do. To do. Um, I'm going to be looking out for some more Vern footage to look at. Um, I think he's a very interesting performer. I, I'm very interested in, in like looking at the different styles now and seeing how he changed. Um, yeah, the Robinson match was fantastic. That's one of the better... easily one of the best one matches we've seen on Titan. Yeah, yeah, and one of the yeah one of the better matches I've seen anywhere in in a long time. I think it was really fun. I I really enjoyed that. Jesus uh, Cripes. Jesus Cripes. It was a hell of a match. Uh, so yes, um, you know, rest in peace, Vern. You were one of the greats. Um, and thank you for all this uh, entertainment you've uh, given us over the years. So, uh, yeah, well, next time on Titans of Wrestling, I guess we'll be heading back to the WWF, but you never know. We keep saying that, and then we get sidetracked mm. by something that comes up out of nowhere. Uh, we, th- I, we th- I threw out a teaser for an idea that we bandied about uh, yes. last night, so I, that's something I definitely think uh, we need to work on. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that was a great idea, John. Yes, yeah, we do have a, a really cool idea in the works, and... Um, We'll put that together, and you'll look for it sometime in the month of June, is all I'll say right now. And yes, um, likely we'll be looking at uh, 1981 WWF, um, but who knows what may happen or something uh, may come up. But uh, yeah, join us again on the Titans of Wrestling. I went to see the gypsy. Staying in a big hotel He smiled when he saw me coming And he wished me well His room was dark and crowded The lights were low and dim How are you? Asked of me, and I asked the same of him. I went down to the lobby to make a small call out. A pretty dancing girl was there, and she began to shout, Go on back to see the gypsy. He can rid you of your fear He did it in Las Vegas And he can do it here Oh, the lights were on the river Shining from outside I contemplated every move Or at least I tried I went back to see the gypsy It was nearly early dawn The gypsy's door was open But the gypsy was gone And that pretty dancing girl Oh, she could not be found 
So I watch the sun come rising in a little Minnesota town.